This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. The bottom line is that yes, our bodies do change and we need to take a step back and reevaluate our behaviors and not just continue to chug along thinking we can do the same old stuff because we can't. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. Menopause is a life stage that 50% of the global population experiences. However, today, if you look up what menopause is, I am not kidding you, this is what it says. It is very common, more than 3 million US cases per year. Treatment can help, but this condition can't be cured. Okay, everyone, it is not a condition, it is a life stage, and there aren't cases because we are women and it is a life stage. And so because of this, we are going to continue to talk about menopause, and I am so pleased to bring to you Anne Garnier, and she is the founder of Lisa Health. She has actually collaborated with the world-renowned Mayo Clinic to develop the Midday app. Today, you're going to get a real treat because Anne has built digital health companies and used that expertise, plus her own experience going through perimenopause and menopause to build this app. So we are both going to talk about our own experiences because I have just hit the post-menopause stage of life, but she's also going to share with us what she has seen in the market around the different types of products that are being developed, whether it be apps, supplements, or telehealth companies that are supporting women through menopause. So if you're trying to figure out how you can resolve your own symptoms, you're going to learn a little bit about what's out there in the market so you can make the best choices for you. So take a listen to this informative and fun conversation. And thank you, Anne, for being a guest and sharing your expertise. And for those of you who want to learn more, about the different stages of perimenopause and menopause, please do check out my Spotify playlist where I list out all the episodes from other expert guests. Okay, so now let's hear from Anne. What I really wanted to, to cover today, and, and you know, I'd love for you to start by introducing yourself, is I've done so many episodes on perimenopause and menopause, and they're definitely popular episodes. Women really want to better understand this phase of life. And to date, I've already covered things like what is perimenopause and menopause. I've talked about some of the symptoms. I know some have spoken about intermittent fasting being a solution from a dietary perspective. I've covered an episode on that, um, some of the hormone changes. So lots of different things that, that we've covered. And I'm really excited to connect with you today because you know, I think you can offer some interesting perspective on some of the work that you're doing in the menopause space. And I also have some top questions that women tend to ask about this phase of life. And so I wanted to be able to cover those with you. Um, So what I thought we could do is first, you give an introduction about who you are and your background and what you're up to now. And then we can dive into this very important and uh, awesome topic. Well, I'm super excited to be here and have this conversation with you. It's so critical that we continue to work to spread the word to um, you know, help women understand this very complex life stage. And I, and I always deliberately call it a life stage uh, because it's 30 plus years of your life. Uh, it's not just a, a single point in time or an event that's, that's happening and then it's going to go away. Uh, it really is uh, like, for example, your reproductive stage of life. It's your non-reproductive stage. So, so a little bit about me. I worked in healthcare technology 
my whole career. Um, so several decades now helping to start and grow venture back startups. You know, my interest has always been using advanced technology to improve patient outcomes and access to care. And along the way, I had the good fortune to work on several women's health initiatives, um, including some of the earliest tech-enabled solutions for um, high-risk pregnancy, preterm birth, and fertility. So after you know many years of helping other people start and grow their company, I decided to uh, strike out on my own. And you know, I just kept going back to that passion in women's health. Uh, you know. If you're going to start a company, you do need to be passionate about, um, you know, the solution that you're building. I had moved beyond my reproductive years, so I was really digging into, you know, what was happening to women's health after 40. Right? It's one of the most underserved areas of healthcare, and it just, you know, as I was researching, you know, things like breast cancer and um, heart disease saw that menopause was was just probably the most underserved of all of the the potential issues women can encounter in midlife. So I just started to really get dig in and get sort of fascinated um, by what was happening to women and it just coincided. I, it was sort of sort of a funny thing. It just coincided with my own menopause transition. So now I am sitting there experiencing all of these symptoms, right? And so there's nothing like, you know, experiencing a problem firsthand. And I figured, gosh, if it was this hard for me and I'm this like super knowledgeable and empowered healthcare consumer, like, what is this like for the average woman? So I just became, I mean, I don't even think passionate is like a strong enough word to express how I felt about building a solution, a tech enabled solution that would really support women on this menopause journey, but I think importantly, really transform the whole experience um, into one that was empowering, positive, and really allowed women to thrive. Absolutely. I, by the way, do want to announce, because it's important to advocate and be proud of this phase of life, but I am now officially postmenopausal. Wow. And <laughs> thank, thank you. And I was laughing because when I was celebrating, I decided to have a glass of champagne. And as I was sipping it, I started feeling a little hot flash. <laughs> so it was very <laughs> funny. I was like, well, this is appropriate. Um, luckily, it was just a minor one and very quick. Um, but I figured, you know, it's, it's important to celebrate and, and advocate and, mm -hmm. and be open about it and not be shameful. So I thought it would be um, helpful for others to hear. Yay, I did it. And I dressed in a really great outfit when I had that champagne to celebrate the moment. So, <laughs> well. Well, one of our key phrases is celebrate the start of something great. And I think it's important for us to really work to flip the perception of menopause from this sort of doom and gloom, very negative, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what's happening. I don't want to do this to one where, you know, women feel that this is a really um, celebratory uh, time in their lives. So kudos to you for lifting that glass of champagne. I actually, we have a, an article with a cover image of a woman uh, holding that glass of champagne. Every woman should celebrate this, uh, this life stage. No, absolutely. And, you know, I have to admit, because of my fertility journey, I secretly always thought, you know, maybe I'll be that person. Because, you know, I, I think uh, perimenopause is one of the phases in life where there's a lot of unexpected or unplanned pregnancies because of how our cycles mm -hmm. are changing. And so I had secretly always thought maybe I might be that person who magically gets pregnant. And I thought that I would panic and freak out about menopause. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so calm about it. And I, I, I don't know if it's the hormones, how they change, you know, cause in perimenopause, it was like, Wah! Um, but I feel so calm and it's so mm -hmm. for anyone who is worried about that fertility journey ending, I'm giving you hope because um, it is possible to still be at peace. And so um, mm -hmm. I was really happy about that. So um, what I wanted to make sure we talked about is helping the group understand 
all that's becoming available now. So, in, you know, a few years ago, it was all about fertility. Well, it started out with period tracking apps. So everything right. was period tracking apps. Then it became, what do we do about fertility? Mm-hmm. And then around the same time, obviously, the transition would be pregnancy. And then magically, there was this explosion of focus on perimenopause and postmenopause. And, you know, as someone who has, you know, developed various women's health companies or supported them and now building your own, you know, I'd love to help educate the audience on what's available to women to support them. Because one of the things I've realized is all of us in deep in femtech, we know our competition. We are assessing, you know, what the news is always saying about the latest startup and who's getting funding. But, you know, like you said, um, we may be experts in this space, but then it's like, where are the resources? So imagine those of us who, or those who may not be as embedded in doing all the research and everything available, they may be like, so I have this thing happening to me. What do I do now? And because you have um, a unique lens, I would love to get your thoughts on helping women understand what is available now. If you think about it, you know, many companies, not all, but many companies in women's health are actually started by women who experienced a problem firsthand. And, you know, we've had, you know, smartphones and wearable technology, uh, AI, uh, you know, advanced analytics, like all of these technologies have been around for a while. And so a lot of women have, are used to using, you know, a smartphone for a wide variety of things, including their healthcare. So it just made sense that women would say like, oh, I need a better way to track my period, or I need a better way to, you know, monitor my fertility windows or manage my pregnancy. And I think similarly, you know, you have women, Gen X women, right? So women who are like roughly between the ages of 45 and 55, who are, you know, asking, well, where is that app, right? Like, why wouldn't I manage my menopause journey using technology? That's why you're starting to see more apps, you know, uh, becoming available. So menopause is, I mean, there's so many symptoms. So I guess I'll kind of take a step back and say that there are companies who are addressing menopause more comprehensively. Um, there are apps, for example, like our app midday, right, is a comprehensive tool for managing your menopause journey and healthy aging. Uh, and there are other apps that are also in the market. There are virtual care companies who are providing, um, virtual care for menopause. Um, but then you have what I would, I kind of call them point solutions, right? Where, you know, companies addressing a single symptom. So for example, um, there's a few companies in the market who have solutions for vaginal dryness um, or hot flashes or you know, other specific symptoms of menopause. So we see, I think the most, the, sort of the most activity happening um, in virtual care and then in um, consumer product goods. So quite a few companies have entered the market for um, products that women can buy online or, or even now in Ulta or Sephora or Target. So um, hair care products, skincare products. So, you know, fortunately, I think we're seeing the days where women had to make do with products for women who are in their 20s or 30s, right, that are designed for, for that age range to products that are now designed specifically for the unique needs of women 40 and up. As someone who, like, if I'm a woman who's just struggling with these symptoms, like, how do I find the resources and how do I know what are the things that work for me because of how these products are regulated? So that's like one example. So we've got celebrities marketing all these things. So I may think a celebrity is great, so I'm going to go follow them. And this is not makeup. This is something where we're dealing with symptoms where some people have really severe ones. If you were to see a woman who's really struggling and you're really deep in this space, you know what, you know, you guys are doing, what your competition's doing, how does a woman even figure out where to begin? Well, I actually had this same question posed by top menopause experts. They have, you know, women coming to them every day saying, 
you know, what products and services can I trust? And it's even difficult for the experts to know that. So there's a few ways to sort that out. Um, one is, is to, you know, you have to do your homework and investigate who is behind this company, right? Do they have healthcare experience? Do they have uh, clinical experience? Uh, you know, is there an advisory board uh, that has, you know, those, the kind of experience one would look for? Is the product uh, science-backed? Is it evidence-based? Are there studies to back up their claims? You know, you, you do have to do a little bit of homework. And, you know, we heard from women over and over again that this is all very confusing. And on top of that, they don't have the time, you know, to do all of this research. So part of our mission, you know, at Lisa Health and in developing our midday app is to create this, this evidence-based and science-backed one-stop shop, right? A resource that women can trust, um, that we've done all the legwork and we have top experts who have participated in developing the solution. Um, when it comes to products, for example, uh, we have members of the community uh, try the products and give us feedback so that the products that are in our marketplace uh, do have at least community feedback. But we also look as to, again, whether those brands have involved experts into the development of their products, whether they've done any work to validate their claims. Those are the things that I would advise women to look for. Um, and for certain products, of course, you know, FDA approval is, is really key. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about custom compounded bioidentical hormone therapy, uh, which unless you have a clinical reason, like an allergy, you know, or something along those lines, you know, I would, I would steer clear, you know, there've been an investigative report in a small study that have looked at these custom compounded um, hormone therapy products and found that they vary you know, or deviate quite widely from what was actually prescribed. And so you really want to make sure that you're using uh, products that have been FDA approved. So if you're thinking about hormone therapy, you know, we actually have a feature in the app that was developed by top experts to help women make decisions about hormone therapy to educate them. Um, but, you know, work with a trained clinician uh, around what your needs are and, you know, have those conversations about the options that are available. But I would stick with FDA approved options. So, so talk to us, um, I guess one, it would be helpful to understand Lisa Health versus the midday app. So maybe you can just explain sure. a little bit about that and paint that picture and then we can take it from there. Sure. So Lisa Health is the company and midday is our app. Uh, you know, when we were working on the app, uh, we wanted it to have a certain feeling to the experience and to the brand. And midday is when the sun is at its highest point in the day, when it's its strongest and brightest. And we felt that that was just so perfect for women in midlife, because that's, in my opinion, when women are at their very, very best and at their peak is in midlife. But Midday is an app. It's leveraging advanced technology like artificial intelligence and wearables to really, su to really support women in a very personalized way. Um, so there's certainly a lot of, you know, apps out there, but, you know, they're from an experience perspective, um, somewhat generic and what we learned from talking to, well, we had a, we did a beta with over 6,000 women and we heard very consistently, you know, I'm unique, right? I want a solution that's really personalized to me. And I do think that's what women deserve. We're all as unique as a snowflake. So midday is designed to personalize this journey to you from what's happening physically and emotionally, and then deliver the therapeutic support uh, to manage your symptoms, but also to promote healthy aging. Um, I don't think we talk enough about 
preventative care and aging and the opportunities to do that, you know, really early in this menopause journey and what the, what that means, like what the implications are of thinking about that much earlier than say your doctor and, and the government, like the CDC would say, you need to be thinking about it. Right. And, you know, I, I love that you guys are using AI to help customize that journey because someone who may be listening and saying, oh, you know, um, I'm unique. It, this is not to clarify. This is not to say someone is, um, so maybe like, oh, come on, you're not that special. Or someone may have like a reaction to that. What I think is important to emphasize is that we truly all experience the symptoms in different ways for a variety of reasons and have different triggers. So are you all assessing, like, I don't know how much information people are having to input, but are you able to help women even identify triggers? Like maybe there was a sleep issue and it was because they ate this, that, and the other. Like, is that also part of what you're helping women figure out? And as a result, do you provide guidance on what to do instead? Yes. So one of the features, for example, um, you can log your hot flashes, which I highly recommend. You know, I uh, did that myself early in, in my menopause journey before I had the benefit of midday because, you know, the hot flashes were really bothersome and I wanted to figure out how to make them stop. I was interested in hormone therapy, but I wanted to try some holistic solutions first to see if that moved the needle. Uh, I always start with lifestyle whenever possible, right? For kind of making the leap to a pharmaceutical option. So by logging your hot flashes and your triggers, you start to see patterns uh, emerge. And, and it doesn't take long for that to happen. You know, a week or two of data is really sufficient uh, to give you a pretty good picture of like, wow, uh, anxiety is like causing half of my hot flashes or, you know, that red wine <laughs> that I have in the evening with dinner, you know, is, is sparking a lot of hot flashes after nine o'clock at night. So maybe I should drink a little less or, you know, kind of move that to maybe like a once a week treat, or maybe even, you know, have that glass of red wine a little earlier in the evening. So maybe it's less impactful on my sleep, but we, um, based on, you know, what those triggers are, then we're able to deliver more targeted support. So again, you're not getting the generic, like here's the 30 things you can do for hot flashes. If your trigger is caffeine, you're going to get supportive recommendations on managing, you know, your caffeine intake. Okay. One question I do have is, as one transitions between perimenopause to postmenopause and then, you know, continues to age, do triggers affect you differently? So for you were just bringing up like wine, I'm actually chuckling because I mentioned the thing about sipping the champagne and a friend of mine just texted me and she's like, I, um, a few weeks ago, she's like, I can't drink red wine. It gives me a migraine. And she just texted me today and she's like, I think I'm done with alcohol full stop. I, I just can't do it anymore. Um, and so sorry to bring up the alcohol part, but everyone is like loving the wine and like enjoys it with dinner. And now everyone's having migraines. And so I, it just begs the question of like, there's hot flashes, migraines, and all these different triggers. So where does sure. that change happen and the fluctuation? Or is that, again, different as a snowflake to each of us? Well, it is, I think, different, you know, across women, right? I mean, there's certainly some things that are consistently reported, you know, in the literature that we do see some consistent patterns. But, you know, there's still so many factors that can influence what your triggers are of say hot flashes for those women who you know f feel like alcohol is is a trigger whether it's for hot flashes or just or for migraines uh you know there's a few things you could experiment with so one is is to do an elimination diet um and just see specifically you know are do you have any food sensitivities as we age um, we can develop uh, food sensitivities. It, it's not necessarily even menopause related. It's just a function of aging. So I just feel like it's a good idea um, to, to do that elimination diet. And obviously it would be 
better to do it with a dietitian who can supervise um, that and, and guide you through that process. But for example, when I did it, um, and I'd had headaches, you know, my whole adult life and doctors always said, oh, it's stress related. You just work too hard. You know, these are tension headaches. Well, guess what? As part of the elimination diet, when I cut out gluten, headaches went away. Okay. <laughs> Here I am going decades with, with ugh, terrible headaches, right? You know, that would sometimes move into to migraine territory and, you know, of course, the offers of prescription drugs, you know, just to manage it. And, well, could have cut out gluten. <laughs> and that would have made my life so much better. <laughs> and I've had a few other women say exactly the same thing. They go, oh, my gosh, yes, I cut out gluten and my headaches went away. So you never know what you're going to discover through that elimination diet process. And it usually just takes a few weeks. But for alcohol specifically, besides just eliminating it and seeing what happens, sometimes it just is a matter of switching up what you're drinking. Um, I shifted to drinking primarily European wines because I found that um, I had almost no you know, no headaches. Of course, I'm, I have, I'm a very moderate person with my alcohol intake. That is key <laughs> to avoiding a headache. <laughs> uh, but I found that, that um, European wines, particularly the lower alcohol, like 12 to maybe 13, 13 and a half percent, um, definitely make a difference. You know, a lot of people don't even think about the percentage, alcohol percentage, um, and you should. I've had other women who found success with switching um, off of wine to say, um, vodka or tequila, um, which is, you know, also plant-based, uh, as long as you watch your mix mixers, because once you start mixing cocktails, you know, there's a, usually a lot of sugar that goes into those drinks. And now you're adding like quite a few calories, uh, to your, to your daily intake. And then of course, I don't think it's a good idea for, for women to up their sugar intake. In fact, I think they need to definitely dial back the oh, sugar yeah. for sure, because, you know, we know that, um, diet is linked to brain health and sugar is, is not good for, for us, um, uh, for many reasons. But the bottom line is that, yes, our bodies do change and we need to take a step back and reevaluate um, our behaviors and not just continue to chug along thinking we can do the same old stuff because we can't, you know, we, we might be able to kind of reframe things as treats, right? You know, I, I have maybe something sweet once a week kind of thing, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, like you know, you've got to start cutting calories. <laughs> uh, we do have to make changes. Another interesting symptom that I experienced, and I still have it once in a while, and I don't know if you've seen people reporting that weird, consistent wake-up time. It's just, I'm like, it's always 2 a.m. No matter what time I go to bed, even, it doesn't matter. It's the, my clock is just off. Well, if you, if you have behaviors that are known to be sleep disruptive, like sugar, right, in the evening, um, you know, alcohol in the evening, right? Like those are just known triggers of sleep disruption. So you need to, you know, either cut those out or dial them back, right? So instead of having two glasses of wine, you know, drink one, maybe not white wine, maybe switch to red wine, maybe have that glass of wine a little earlier in the evening so you have time to metabolize it. Um, I know for me, I mean, fortunately, I do not have a sweet tooth. <laughs> My husband does, but I do not. Um, but I know on the occasion where I have it, have um, a dessert in the evening, um, I can just say like clockwork, I will be up <laughs> around one in the morning uh, and, and also struggle to get back to sleep. It'll take a few hours for my um, brain to sort of wind back down. Same is true of champagne. I absolutely adore champagne or sparkling wines, but boy, those are a big trigger of sleep disruption. I think as we age, it's really important to pay attention to sleep hygiene. And that's not just things, 
you know, like the things that you eat or um, your supplement uh, regimen. It's also things like, you know, are you checking your phone in the few hours before bed, right? You know, looking at that work email that now all of a sudden is going to send your brain into, you know, this tailspin, right? Or reading that text message, you know, from a family member or friend that is upsetting to you, you know, that's going to get your brain going. It's going to make it much harder to fall asleep. Um, Or if you fall asleep, you know, for a lot of people, it will trigger, you know, a sleep disturbance episode. And then it's just harder to go back to sleep. Right. So we, we absolutely have to pay attention to sleep hygiene, especially women. We get the least amount of sleep, of any other demographic. And I'm talking about women in the menopause life stage, the least amount of sleep. And a lot of it, you know, is due to hot flashes at night. Definitely those are sleep disruptors, but it can can be stress. It can be anxiety. It can be, you know, engaging in, in things that are too stimulating, you know, whether that's, you know, from the digital perspective or food and alcohol, yeah, you just got to start paying attention to all those little details and get into your routine. It's almost like for me, I don't know how it feels for you. It's just a matter of fact thing. It's like, I choose, like, I'm going to have, you know, do this bad habit, whatever it is, like checking my phone, eating something sweet or whatever. And as a result, this is going to happen, but oh, well, but it's not like this panic And I guess I'm also coming off of the fertility treatment. That was constant panic of like, am I going to be pregnant this month? Am I going to be pregnant this month? Right. But this is just more like, it is what it is. And I choose or I don't. And that's what happens. And so I'm curious if you feel the same or if you've seen that feedback from those who are um, using the Medea. I think what you're talking about is, you know, when you, when you understand, you know, what the drivers are of your symptoms, uh, then you, then that knowledge is like power, right? Yeah. And with that power comes control. And so you can now choose, right, to have that glass of champagne in the evening, <laughs> knowing it's going to wake you up. But you might be like, hey, I'm in a really celebratory mood. It's fine. I don't have to get up early the next day. I can sleep in a little bit. You know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Or you can choose to not, you know, have that glass of champagne and say, no, my, my good night's sleep is more important to me because, you know, I have an important meeting or uh, activity the next day, or I just, I just really want to get a good night's sleep. You know, it's not worth it. A lot of women are, you know, just, they just raise their hand and they say, you know what, this particular behavior, not worth it anymore. Just how you mentioned earlier on the podcast about some of these women who are not drinking anymore, you know, for a variety of reasons, it's just not worth it to them. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I do want to call out is not once have we discussed blood tests. And so some may say, oh, I need to go to my OBGYN and get my blood work done. So tell us about blood work and menopause symptoms and perimenopause symptoms. So does someone need to get blood work? And if they get blood work, what does it tell them versus not tell them? Well, I want to be really clear with your listeners. I am not a doctor. <laughs> I've had many of my colleagues say that I should, like I'm an honorary clinician because I do really geek out on all of um, the uh, sort of medical and scientific details. But I'm not going to answer this question from the position of being a medical expert. And that's I'm going to answer the question from the position of someone who's talked to a lot of top medical experts about whether or not I'm assuming you're alluding to, you know, should you ask your doctor for a test to know if you've reached menopause or if you're in perimenopause? I think that's the question you're asking. Now, I guess where I was coming at it from is more, um, some have even said, you know, I'm experiencing these symptoms Maybe mm-hmm. I can go figure out if my hormones are out of balance. Right. And what I'm hearing from the experts is, is like it's it's symptom based, full stop. Like it, your hormones change so much, especially in perimenopause. Like if you get your hormones checked on this day, it may be different two weeks from now. And so the hormone check levels of themselves trying to inform how to do it with your symptoms isn't as helpful right. As one right. might think, it's more prefacing what are the symptoms, figuring out triggers and managing it that way. That's correct. So okay. bottom line is don't, you're wasting your money. <laughs> 
unless a physician feels that for some other reason they need to order those tests, um, you're basically wasting your money if you're just trying to figure out like, am I in perimenopause? Have I reached menopause? Uh, your hormones change throughout the day, not even like day to day or week to week, your hormone levels are fluctuating throughout the day. Uh, so those tests are generally not very helpful. From the hormone replacement therapy, I'd love to get just whatever perspective you'd like to offer based on what you're learning through your app and talking to the many women and experts in this space, just, you know, considerations or themes that you're seeing that might be helpful for listeners to um, hear about. Sure. We now call it menopausal hormone therapy rather than hormone replacement therapy. Uh, so according to the experts, you know, if you are a much younger woman who's experienced menopause prematurely in those instances, yes, you know, they are seeking to replace your hormones, but, you know, as a woman who is menopausal and is, uh, interested or using, um, hormone therapy, it, it's not so much about replacing the hormones. So just to kind of clarify that piece of things. Um, but I think we just can't say enough that there is so much misinformation about men menopausal hormone therapy because of some studies that were done of several decades ago now. So we're still dealing with the aftermath of that, where um, the data was interpreted in a way that um, created a scare around um, hormone therapy you know, potentially causing breast cancer or significantly increasing breast cancer risk. So many, many women stopped using hormone therapy. Many, many doctors stopped prescribing it. Uh, and, you know, those studies uh, were, um, the data was reanalyzed and, um, you know, the, the information was republicized, but sort of the damage had already been done. And since then, there have been many, many studies that have shown that, you know, for most women, hormone therapy is um, very safe. Uh, but what we always recommend is that women get educated um, and seek out uh, someone who is a menopause care expert who's been certified as um, a menopause care expert to have uh, shared decision-making discussion and to understand the risk-benefit uh, ratio for you. Now we know that it can be hard for women to access, you know, those experts. Cause let's just face it. There's not that many of them out there. Uh, so that's why in midday uh, we have a tool that was actually developed by experts at the Mayo clinic um, that can help you understand whether or not hormone therapy is right for you and, and gives you that science backed evidence-based education. And then you can take that and print it out um, or, um, or PDF it and bring it to your clinician um, and, and have a conversation with that individual. And we also have virtual care as an option in the app as well. So if you don't have a clinician or you're concerned they're not responsive you know, to your needs in this menopause life stage, then you have the option to um, request a virtual care appointment. Are, are these visits um, covered by insurance or are you not there yet? Because I know that a lot of folks kind of start out with the service and over time evolve into getting things covered. I'm curious where you are sure. in that um, stage of the business. Well, so I think what's unique about Midday is that we have partnered with the Mayo Clinic uh, to, they work, uh, they collaborated with us on the development of our app but they are also providing virtual care. Uh, so you're getting really top experts in uh, menopause and midlife women's health, but Mayo Clinic does take insurance. They take most insurance. So um, they will work with you to um, evaluate whether or not uh, the virtual care visit will be covered by insurance. So is there anything else that you want to add about this partnership? Because when I had met you at the Women's Health Innovation Summit, um, I also met some of the Mayo Health, uh, Mayo Clinic, excuse me, colleagues that you've been working with. So tell me a little bit more about um, that partnership, if there's anything additional you want to share, because I think that's such a, 
a unique and important thing that that I noticed about your company? Sure. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, you know, I've been in the healthcare technology space, you know, for several decades and uh, in developing solutions have always worked with key opinion leaders, uh, you know, clinical and scientific experts that can help inform the development of um, a high quality, you know, responsible um, solution to whatever healthcare problem that we were tackling. So, you know, when it comes to menopause, it's a very lengthy, complex life stage. And uh, it's essential that I think any company um, in this space is putting together, you know, a team uh, internally, as well as through an advisory board and relationships like the one we have with Mayo Clinic, um, that can support them to develop, you know, a science-backed evidence-based solution. And again, I mean, those are the kinds of things you want to look for when you're evaluating um, a product or service uh, in this space. Okay. Well, I'm really impressed. Um, and I have the app um, and I, I love the alerts that I'm getting. Um, but no, it's, it's fantastic. And it's just been great to see um, what you've built. Now, do you mind? I looked up top five questions that women ask about this stage of life. And I wanted to have you just answer them. They're like quick ones, um, nothing that we have to get into elaboration uh, or nothing we have to elaborate on. So, well, one was, should I start homo hormone therapy? So I think we already answered that question mm -hmm. where is it depends, the, the data um, out there shows that it is safe. You just have to figure out if it's right for you and there's been a lot of misinformation. So I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. Well, it's safe for most women. So, you know, there's certainly certain, certain circumstances where hormone therapy is an, an appropriate treatment based on your medical profile. So that's why it's important to work with a clinician who's an expert in menopausal care. And of course, there's kind of a timing thing. So I think yep. a lot of women think, oh, I can take hormone therapy anytime. And in most cases, um, you know, hormone therapy is a therapeutic that's used when you have reached menopause, right? So not in perimenopause. Sometimes there might be circumstances, um, from what I understand from the experts, that they might prescribe it. But generally, it's um, after you have reached menopause and within a certain window of time. Okay. And then how will menopause impact sex drive? Ooh, yes. For a lot of women, uh, it, it impacts their sex drive quite a lot. I mean, we, we characterize it as low libido. You know, that's typically what you'll see um, in some of the education materials, or maybe if you're filling out symptom questionnaires, but it basically means that, yeah, you're just not, not in the mood. And I think the ripple effect there is it can cause a lot of problems in relationships where your partner is expecting to continue to have, you know, an intimate relationship and you just are so not, not there. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think the good news is that there is um, a number of strategies that you can employ to, um, to help with low libido. So there's certainly prescription options you can explore. We have a wonderful advisor, Dr. Barb Dupree. She had started a website many years ago, middlesexmd.com. Uh, and she was really a pioneer in sexual wellness and really talking openly about these types of, of things and also created a product marketplace um, for getting things like lubricants and moisturizers and therapeutic devices. Uh, so what Dr. Dupree, you know, some of the um, advice that she gives is you may not feel desire when sex is being initiated, but it will follow, right? So, you know, you may have to have some foreplay to sort of start to warm things up. And then, you know, in a few minutes in, it's like, oh, okay, now my body's responding. And now I actually am in the mood, right? That oftentimes where before desire would lead you know, into the sexual encounter, like, Ooh, I'm in, the, I'm in the mood. Now we just have to, um, understand that that desire may come a little bit later in the process, but okay. it can kick in. I also strongly encourage, you know, talking with your partner, 
just about menopause in general and not sort of hide, hide or delay that conversation because I think many partners, you know, can play a very supportive role and it can really help to get you through some of the more kind of maybe acute phases of symptoms occurring, you know, like low libido and vaginal dryness, you know, rather than kind of lying there and being in a lot of pain, um, you know, kind of talking about the fact that, wow, like sex really hurts now. <laughs> like it's really painful and uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. And then, and then just resisting. Right. And then your partner gets frustrated because it's like, wow, we haven't had sex in a month to just say to your partner, you know, it is painful. And I think we need to start using a lubricant, right? Like we need to start introducing, you know, some new things into the bedroom that are going to help us um, enjoy this. So here's a quick question here. Like there are things like black cohosh and all these other things where there's, we think it helps, we, it probably helps. And so I guess any high level guidance, I mean, is this as simple as right now, let's just go to someone who is trained in menopause research still to come. And the answer is it depends on the supplements. Because again, with so many things in women's health, there's all these things that certain subsections of people know and use, but then others are like, where's the clinical trial? Just curious if you're seeing any themes that, that we should make women aware of at a high level without diving into supplement by supplement. Well, you know, there's just not a lot of evidence around these supplements. You know, there's, there's not been enough research. I mean, in general with menopause, there's not very much research dollars that, that go into this um, life stage, which is a shame. But for supplements specifically, there's not a lot of evidence. The experts would tell you that, you know, if you take a supplement, let's just say black cohosh, for example, and it feels to you like you're having fewer hot flashes or less intense, um, often it could just be a placebo effect just by the fact that you're doing something, right? Then you feel like this is a positive step towards um, managing hot flashes that you are... Um, that you have a perception that, you know, your hot flashes are improving and that's fine. You know, I mean, if, but oftentimes it's not sustained, right. That, that it might just last for a few weeks or a few months. Um, But generally the expert consensus on um, supplements is that they don't work. Okay. Uh, And, they could be harmful, um, particularly if you're taking other medications or you've got other medical issues. I think it's always a good idea to have a conversation with a clinician um, okay. for taking supplements. And and you're, I think you're alluding to like herbal remedies for um, things like hot flashes or sleep, but just on supplements in general, um, the experts generally are not do do not feel that supplements really do anything for anyone. Um, it could be if you have a particular condition, you might need supplementation. Um, but oftentimes people are over supplementing. Like they just think, well, uh, <laughs> I guess if a little magnesium is good, I'll take a lot. Uh, <laughs> and you might actually <laughs> have side effects from that. You know, one of our right. advisors who's an expert in lifestyle medicine, she says she consistently sees patients who are over supplementing and causing other, other issues. And then the, um, these two questions actually have to do with each other and they're the last question. So it really has to do with OBGYN visits. So one section of it is I haven't had my period in years. Do I need an annual? And then do I still need pap tests and mammograms? Um, especially if I've like already had a hysterectomy. So this is kind of like that holistic, okay, I've been going to my OBGYN consistently. Now I've hit this stage of life. Where does that OBGYN fit into my life, if at all? Well, again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm not going to weigh in on things like, you know, pap smears and mammograms. But I think, you know, a, a once a year, I call it a well woman visit, is always a good thing because we, I think we want to make sure that, um, you know, we're potentially catching anything early. Right. Uh, and your doctor can recommend, you know, the right interval for you for, uh, things like 
pap smears and, and mammograms, but there is something to be said for um, being proactive about your health yep. and engaging in preventative care. I, I, go, I still go, I'm in my you know late 50s and I still go to my well woman visit every year. I'm still getting um, mammograms and pap smears. I think my pap is like every two years now. Um, because I, I just want to make sure that um, if there's anything that those tests could potentially pick up, like breast cancer or cervical cancer, you know, why not? It's covered by insurance. Absolutely. Nope. Great, great point. But are there any closing thoughts, any takeaways or anything I missed that you want to make sure you um, share before we close? Well, I think I touched on it a couple of times, but, you know, I really strongly encourage women to look forward to this life stage. I mean, I think for me and for many women I know, this has just been the most amazing, absolutely the most amazing chapter of our life. And I think it's what you make of it, right? So going into it with a positive attitude, and I'm going to crush it and I'm going to do all these things that I wanted to do for a long time, but maybe because I had, you know, kids I was raising or, you know, just other, other priorities, like now it is my time and I'm going to just reap the benefits of all of this wisdom and experience. I mean, I just think just go for it, right? Like don't let this, you know, these perceptions of menopause, like get up in your head and, and, you know, get, you know, approaching this time of your life of thinking, oh my God, I'm getting old. It's like, no, no, <laughs> you're as old as you want to feel. Like in my head, I'm like 35 years old, right? Thank you. So, I feel the same way. Exactly. So please, please, you know, just think about this as just like just a whole wonderful new chapter of your life. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for leveraging your background to build this company and to create such a great network to be part of the advocacy and solutions for some of these symptoms in this life stage. Because I think it'll really play into all of women's health, not just this stage of life. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs>